the book of Acts chapter 1. We're going to read the first 11 verses, but we're going to focus on 6 to 11. I'll read the first verses for context, but we're going to read the first 11 verses, Acts 1, 1 to 11. Receive this with, with faith and love. This is the word of God. Thus says the Lord, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. At the end of the 1999 season, legendary football coach Bill Parcells announced that he would retire from football. However, he was, going to stay, he was going to stay as the general manager of his team, the New York Jets, and appointed his protege to replace him. The expectations could not be higher then, when on February 4th of 2000, the Jets called the press conference to announce their new head coach, Bill Belichick. You probably have heard that name before, even if you have never heard anything about football. To the sadness of his detractors, Bill Belichick is objectively the greatest coach to ever work in the game. But back then, 23 years ago, the unexpected happened. Minutes before taking the podium, Belichick scrawled a note on a napkin, and when they announced, here comes the new head coach, Belichick read these words from Sad Napkin. I resign as head coach of the New York Jets. <laughs> Wait, what? A couple, of day late, a couple of days later, he was announced as head coach of the New England Patriots, and the rest, as they say, is history. A history that, of course, includes the Jets being shellacked by the Patriots year in, year out, ever since. Our text tonight presents a similar situation to us that might leaves us wondering in similar fashion. After those three terrible nights of suffering and anguish, 
the unexpected happened. Jesus came back from the dead. He appeared to the disciples. He taught them about the coming of the kingdom. And behold, now the king is here. This is it. After some 40 days, he calls them together in a mountain. He says he will be with them until the ends of the earth. This is it. He promises he will give them his spirit like God used to do with the prophets of old. This has to be it. And then he finally tells them, I'm out of here. And he goes away from their sight. And they stand there looking. Wait, what? Maybe like Elisha, seeing his old master, Elijah, going up, taken by a cloud. Is this it? They might have thought. And in all seriousness, isn't that how we feel sometimes when we think about Jesus and his ascension, if we ever think about his ascension at all? Why is Jesus not here with us when we need him the most? Wouldn't it be way easier if he was present with us? Wouldn't you feel less lonely sometimes? Less uncertain that he listens when you pray or even sees and knows you, you are go- and knows you are going through trials and temptations? Wouldn't it be easier? You're feeling alone. You buy a ticket to Israel and you sit by his side. Today's text is an answer to those questions and to this anguish. It talks about Jesus leaving this earth and his body and how it's close, his close disciples saw it and were left with more questions than answers, much like we sometimes feel. However, through the Spirit of God, this text teaches us that while not here physically, Jesus is still very much active in this world. He is alive, and he has a plan that involves all of us. Today's text teaches that Jesus uses his church to accomplish his salvation plans. Again, this text te- teaches us tonight that Jesus uses his church to accomplish his salvation plans. We'll see that in three points. First, Jesus is at work even when we don't understand it. Again, first thing we have to see from the text is that Jesus is at work even when we don't understand it. Like I said, these are the last moments of Jesus' earthly ministry. When our text begins on verse 6, 40 days from his resurrection have passed, and by the time it ends, he will be in the heavenly courts before the Father. He has been teaching them about the kingdom of God, as we read from verse 3. And now it's time to say goodbye. Of course, his disciples being the bright bunch that they they always are, there is one last chance to get something wrong about Jesus' teaching before he goes. They ask Jesus if this is the time when he will restore the kingdom to Israel. Surprisingly enough, Jesus' answer has more to do with the timing than the idea of restoring the kingdom in itself. He says the timing of God's plans, it's not up to them. 
And I believe we usually read this text and just assume that, as always, the disciples are super wrong uh, and they have all the wrong ideas about what, where, and how Jesus would restore the throne of David. Still, if you look closely, nothing in his answer indicates that they were that wrong or completely wrong. And if that's the case, then what's happening here? You see, probably they thought Jesus had done everything he had to do. He lived, died, resurrected. What more is there for him to do? Has, his, has not his resurrection been enough demonstration that he is the promised hope for Israel's people? As we will see in the rest of the text, no, it is not. Yes, Jesus all Jesus had done at this point had fulfilled many promises about his life and his work. Still, there was more to do. The 11 disciples at that point thought the job was done, but there was more. There were more canonical books to write, miracles to perform, and above all, many people from all nations to preach the gospel to. The son of David and the son of God will sit on his throne, restore God's rule over his people, and put his enemies as his footstool, yes. But not until all his chosen ones are reached and all his enemies are judged. Not until peoples from all the earth, as we sang earlier, come to be part of his flock. Just like they had not understood he needed to die, now they fail to understand they must preach him crucified and resurrected to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of his green earth. The job here is not done, sisters and brothers. It is not up to us to know when will it be. And so that means if there's job to do and we don't know how, when will that end, we keep working. We keep preaching the gospel to all nations. We keep translating the gospel into all languages. We keep reaching out to the far corners of our neighborhoods. We keep baptizing and making disciples out of the children he gives us the privilege of seeing every week thundering through the halls of our building. We keep sitting under, under the reading and the preaching of his word, our firm foundation, as we sang and we watch patiently as his spirit makes disciples out of our feeble attempts to remain faithful to his promises. Fear not, for I am with you, he promises on Isaiah 44. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. We might not know or understand when God will fulfill all his promises, but we trust he will. So we keep toiling in his service, knowing he knows better than we do, and his promises will never fail. And this realization that our job is to keep spreading the news of the kingdom, that there is still time to take refuge in him, leads us to our second point. Jesus sends the church to work through his spirit. 
Jesus sends the church to work through his spirit. If there is more to do, how can we do it since he is not here? How can we hope, we, how can we hope to accomplish all that work if all we have to show for is, if all we have to show for is us right here? In verse 8, Jesus gives us the answer. Let us reread it. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. He will provide us with his Spirit, he says. Isn't that what he had promised them when they had their last Passover meal together? In the Gospel of John, we read this promise. The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. This is just like Mari and I, when we leave, leave our baby Elizabeth sleeping in her crib because we can see her through the baby monitor. Just like that. Jesus lets his baby witnesses lose into this world because he will always be looking out for them. And if we want to push this illustration just a little bit further, our baby monitor allows us to speak to Elizabeth through it. And we can also hear back from her through that baby monitor. You see, he had spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching them about the kingdom. Now he tells them to go from Judea to Samaria to all four corners of the earth, and he reassures them he will give them all they need to accomplish it. His Holy Spirit, teacher, advocate, comforter, counselor, will be with them. And then we read in Romans 8 that the Spirit intercedes, the, inter, inter, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So again, not only will he be with them, but they will be also able to speak, speak to him. It's a two-way conversation. Beloved people of God, trust in this tonight. Yes, Jesus is not here, but he is not silent. And he's listening. And he is acting. It was his spirit that empowered Peter, John, Paul, Philip, James, throughout the book of Acts to perform miracles, to preach to Jews and Gentiles, to appoint deacons, to plant churches. And then those first Jews and Gentiles spread to all corners of the earth. Those first churches sent missionaries to all places and all peoples. Do not ever forget, this. Do not ever forget that from their perspective, we are the end of the earth. And it was through their efforts that finally the gospel reached Haporo. It reached Canada, wherever that is. It reached Brazil, of all places. So yes, Jesus left, but he then sent his spirit as gifts to his people. 
As Paul says in Ephesians 4, to build up the church and expand his kingdom. In a fantastic text that connects the ascension of Jesus, the giving of the Holy Spirit, and the work of the church, this is what Paul says when the church receives from the Spirit of Christ. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Paul's talking about you and me here. Since the beginning of the church, God has been using ordinary people, unimpressive people like you and like me, through his spirit to work out his plans for the world until he returns. So we see the prophet greater than Moses. He gave his spirit to us of all people so we would proclaim his work and his words to this world, to this world that so badly needs to hear the good news of the gospel. The ultimate Davidic king gave his spirit to us, to of all people, so that we could overcome ours and his enemies, sin, death, and the world. The high priest, who intercedes for his people in heaven, gave his spirit to us, of all people, so we would pray for those who persecute us and intercede for all peoples before him. So the spirit of God leads us to Christ individually and then turns us into his hands at work until he returns. And this great realization leads us to our final point tonight. Jesus will keep working until his salvation plan is accomplished. Again, Jesus will keep working until his salvation plan is accomplished. While he ascended to heaven before their eyes, two angels appeared to them with an assurance that also contained a mild rebuke. Don't just stand there, they say. He will return the same way that you have seen him go. And in case they immediately felt helpless and tempted to despair after he disappears from their side in the first day of his job, God reassures them he will return to establish his kingdom permanently, even if they don't, they don't know when. However, implicit in this promise is a little bit, it's a little prodding. Therefore, just don't stand there. He will give you his spirit and you will be his witnesses. So get going, chop, chop. We already saw that God will fulfill his redemptive promises in history after Jesus is gone. We also noted that he will do it through his spirit-empowered people. And finally, we see that he who began this work will see it to completion. Jesus himself explained this when he gave us what we call the parable of the talents. He is like a man who goes on a journey and leaves his, pro his property to his servants. And before going, he gives, them all the, he gives them all the necessary means to tend to their master's business and increase it. And as you probably can remember from that parable, the worst thing they could do now is to sit tight on top 
of those gifts. When he returns, he will expect them to have done something, anything, with what he gave them. And think about it. How do we know that? Because his spirit inspired the evangelist to write this parable down and then used his church to preserve and translate this text until it got to our very own hands right now. But then the guarantee we have that he will come back, as the text say, says, lies precisely in the fact that he went up to heaven. He is the man of clean hands and pure hearts that can go up to the mountain of God, as we read in Psalm 24. Because he now sits at the right hand of the Father, and from there he governs the universe, we can have certainty that God is still active in this world. He gave us all we needed to do our work because he did what we could not do before the Father. He lived a perfect life. He died to pay for our sins. And now he rules the world as the eternal God-man and he will return to reap the fruits of all the seeds his people have been sowing for centuries. Yes, again, he is not here but as we, we've seen today from the text, he is still active. We can still hear his voice. He's not here physically, but he's not silent. His absence from our sight because of his ascension guarantees our eternal life in his presence when he returns. I want to conclude with an illustration from the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32, God instructed Jeremiah to buy an ancestral property in his hometown of Anathoth. The time for that command, which seems simple enough, could not be worse. The kingdom of Babylon had just besieged Jerusalem. Who would buy land in a land about to be conquered by another king? Jeremiah obeyed. And instructed by God, he preserved the purchase documents in a jar of clay because God had promised to Jeremiah, houses, fields, and vineyards would again be bought in that land. Jeremiah's purchase was a foolish investment in the short term, but it was a pledge for the future in trust that God would keep his promise. This text of Jeremiah points us directly to what is happening in Acts 1. Jesus' purchase of the redemption of humanity through his incarnation, death, and resurrection could not be more foolish to our human reasoning. And what would be more even foolish, after doing all of that, he disappears from our sight. Why would God take on human form and then leave? Yet, while Jesus' purchase seems foolish to the powers of this present age, it holds the hope of a glorified humanity against the ravages of mortality we endure right here while we wait for him. Jesus' retention of our humanity is a pledge of future restoration, and his spirit living in us seals that promise.
that we one day will all have glorified bodies like he does. As someone once said, while we are pilgrims through a barren world, we surge, sojourn with the knowledge that the promised land is held in trust in the very nerves and ligaments of the still incarnate Jesus. When we live and serve in this hope, the desert valley of the world turns to a place of springs as we pass. Let us pray. O Lord, our God, let your mighty hand and outstretched arm still be our defense. Your mercy and loving kindness in Jesus Christ, your dear Son, our salvation. Your true and holy word, our instruction. Your grace and your Holy Spirit, our comfort and consolation. Unto the end and in the end. In Jesus' name we pray and we say together, Amen.